little, little bit more about me. I, I live in San Diego. Anybody from San Diego? Yeah. All right. I live in San Diego. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Jennifer, for 22 years. i uh, got two kids, two teenage kids, so please pray for me because it's are difficult years. So, um, but I love what I get to do. I, I love helping people embrace their not-so-perfect stories and then help them really launch into this second chance and the, the, the grace that God gives us all to just really thrive and flourish. And so I've written two small group curriculums, one called Freeway, another one called Wonder Life. And I, I don't know, a lot of people have gone through it. Like, I think close to 200,000 people have gotten in a group and gone through their own story, looked at some of the pain in their own life, uh, really have been uh, honest in a, in a group setting, and God has just done some really powerful things. The other side of what I do is I train leaders like yourselves on how to be better heart handlers and how to be. Here's the deal: a lot of us may have gone and got theological training. Uh, maybe we we understand the Bible. We've got kind of the academics of caring for people down, but some of our bedside manner and some of the the things that we do are actually not really helpful to to moving people towards real healing and freedom. And so I uh, created a a curriculum called Rescue Lab and Rescue Academy. In fact, you've got a little card there. Um, This is, you can learn more about that. Uh, I do a two-day workshop down in San Diego about five times a year and also have uh, team kits where uh, you can watch me on video, basically. And I talk about addiction, mental health issues. I talk about uh, self-care and really sustainability in your own life as a rescuer. And uh, I talk about shame. Uh, I talk about ownership and sort of the victim mindset. So this training is all about helping leaders lead hurting people into healthier places. And I, you'll see as we kind of get into this, I'm a simple guy. Uh, I My own story is a story of, of pain. So a lot of what I've learned has been in my own valley experiences. I, I said I've earned a PhD in pain just in my own story, all the way from very young age, being uh, sexually abused, to uh, being I was 19, I was in a very serious voting accident where I almost killed a man and permanently disfigured him and there'd be a court case and lawsuits and he would he would survive but he'd suffer brain damage. And so like my story was uh, betrayal uh, by friends in ministry or literally just was doing a ministry and then all of a sudden not doing a ministry. I've been, I've written a book, I actually have a book that I've written that is now a banned book. No joke, there's probably like 10 people in America with a banned book. I'm one of them. And and went through this this public humiliation uh, around that and just all kinds of controversy. And just, so my my story, like literally every decade has had a rock bottom experience, but the enemy tried to, to, to bury me, tried to, burned me down, tried to stop me. And here's the thing that I just, through these seasons, I just held on to Jesus. I held on to my faith. I held on to sense like, I my story is not ending here. Right. And so that's, like, this is not just philosophical for me. This isn't just curriculum. This isn't just, like, some words and some doodles. Like, this is personal for me. Right. And, um, I, and I get, my, my sinking suspicion is that it might be personal for you, too. Like, I really, truly believe that God uses our not-so-perfect stories and our own pain to actually fuel these beautiful, redemptive ministries that we have. Like, I, here's what I believe, is that uh, when our heart breaks and is broken and shattered, that actually uh, gives us two options. Number one, we can uh, choose to be bitter and angry and wallow in self-pity, or it can unleash these new levels of compassion and empathy and, and the sense of like, the get-it factor in terms of people's pain is you, you, you take it to a whole other level. I tell people this all the time, like, your brokenness, your, your not-so-perfect story is your unfair advantage in the work that you're doing with people. 
And so how do we leverage that? How do we use that? So that's what Rescue Academy is about. That's what my ministry is about. That's why I train leaders in it. That's why I'm helping people in groups. It's like, let's go. <laughs> like, let's, let's stop being ashamed. Let's stop being afraid. Stop being embarrassed about our not-so-perfect stories and say, let's, let's, let's bring all of that together and say, God is redeeming it. He's rescuing it. Uh, he's making us whole. We are in a constant. By the way, we never arrive in our healing. Right. It's a constant yeah. sort of journey. I still like. I, I'm telling you guys way too much about myself right now. But I I go to 12 step every every week uh, for codependent codependency. Um, my issues have issues still. Um, I've been. I go to two hours of therapy every month. Um, I am a mess, but. I also have message, and I also have sort of this this fuel and this passion. Like I am a ruined man, but I'm a ruined man who's been saved by God, who's been used by God. So let's do this. I want to. I want to get into it. I want. And, and this time, to me, this is your time. So we're gonna do some some questions and answers. But anytime, like I'm not very formal, as you maybe can tell. Um, I just want to like help and anything I can do in this next hour that we have together that's helpful for you let's talk about that let's address that I got my little notes but I typically don't even follow my own notes and so we're just going to go on hopefully on a journey that will help you be a better rescuer because um, here, here's what I believe my, kind of my, my mission is that we have been rescued to be a rescuer right. yeah. it's not just hey God thanks for saving me that was cool <coughs> Now, now I've got a better life, I'm more healed, I'm more free, I'm more whole and forgiven of it. No, like we got purpose and we have we we have a, a thing to carry out. Oh, you guys are like these outposts of grace and these these lighthouses of love out there in your communities. And so like let's go and let's be good at what we do when it comes to people's pain. So are uh, you ready? Yeah. Are you diving? Okay. By the way, let me. This is uh, this is my website, secondchance.org. That's kind of the ministry website. And then um, I'm at Mike Foster 2000 on Instagram. That's my little camera thing there. So if you want to, uh, I, I I'm always posting stuff about you know quotes and just different resources and things. And if you want to see my my dog and my kids, that's all there. Um, so let me let me begin with a little story. I was. Um, uh, catching a flight to, to go speak uh, down in San Diego, and uh, we start boarding and start lining up to board. And I, I'm watching, walking over to the gate, and I'm watching this lady. Literally, felt like so much. And she gets tripped up by somebody's bag, and she literally just smacks down hard onto this marble floor in the airport. And you just heard this big old pop, and then you heard this vicious screaming coming from this lady. And not to be too graphic, is I know you're just ate lunch or maybe you're eating lunch right now. Her this is what her uh, leg looked like. So it's her leg, her foot is pointed backwards, flopped down like this. It was nasty. <laughs> and she's you know you know those people that try to be strong when they hurt they stub their toe they're hurt like they try to gut it out. This lady was not one of those people. She literally screamed bloody murder. Like all of San Diego knew that she was in pain and needed help. And so a guy with a walkie-talkie from Southwest comes over and he goes, "Hey, uh, you know what's going on?" And, and just you know, he's like, "Give me, give me the paramedics." And he kind of walks away. And then I walk over there. I'm not a trainee EMT or anything like that, but I just kind of literally kneel down next to her and kind of start running. He's like, "It's okay. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. We get some people coming. They're gonna take care of you. Just, just hang in there." hanging in there and I'm literally rubbing her back and then a couple ladies come by and they look at her and they, they go what happened and literally start playing 21 questions with this lady who is in thriving uh, you know writhing in pain on the floor her foot going the other direction that it's not supposed to be going and you're like hey uh, how did you fall did you get tripped like where are you head to are you from, from San Diego area did you see the Shamu show like just 21 questions that she she is not in any condition ready to answer because she's in pain yeah. and so let's say those, those ladies realize that uh, she wasn't going to answer the questions they kind of wander off into uh, get back in line and then Another lady comes by. I'm still doing, doing my family's calling. He's going, okay, hurry, please, hurry, come um, And uh, another lady comes by, and she, uh, 
she looks at the lady's foot, and the lady's wearing sandals. And so this one goes, hey, hey, we should take her sandal off. Get it off of that foot that's pointing the other direction. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Again, I'm not a medical person, but I'm like, don't touch the foot, lady. Right. Don't touch the foot. Right. And she, oh, okay. And so she, you know, well-meaning, but she realized that she wasn't being very helpful, so she backs up. And then a doctor comes by. I'm like, thank you, Lord. We got medical care. And she's she's not part of the official medical crew, but she comes over and she goes, ma'am, I'm a doctor. Uh, tell me where it hurts. And she's literally kind of, the lady's on the ground. She's kind of saying, like, tell me where it hurts. What? I hurt my ankle. It's, I think I broke it. But... And she's like, ma'am, you need to put some ice on it. Oh my and then she walks away. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I'm down here doing my thing. I'm like, hey, uh, doctor, that's great advice. Do you think we, maybe you could go get some ice? Because I'm doing my thing, and she can't obviously go get some ice. But, but the doctor was not willing to do that. And then finally, the the, uh, the paramedics come. And, and by the way, there was also, in the midst of that whole scene, probably about 100, 150 looky-loos literally just watching her cry out in pain and did absolutely nothing. In fact, this is no lie. I saw a couple people with their little cell phones taking pictures of her. I don't know, this is going to be a great Instagram story from San Diego. I I don't know what they were thinking, but, but this is the reality of the world that we live in and the problem. Yeah. We have people, we, we try to help people and it's really not about them getting help. It's about our own curiosity. I need to know what's going on here. Right? Those three ladies who did all the 21 questions. I just need to know. And then you have people who are well-meaning. A lot of church people, well-meaning, good hearts. But they come in and they're like, let's take out their sandal. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's going to add to the pain. Right. Don't do that. So people are well-meaning, but, but they, they end up doing more harm than good. And of course you have the doctor types who are more than willing to give advice, but completely unwilling to get their hands dirty. There's a lot of people out there like that. I'll give you advice and give you some tips, and then I'm out of here. And then, of course, most of us are, uh, not not us, because we're, we're the good guys, right? But a lot of people are just unwilling to get involved. They're the looky-loos. They're the photograph takers. It's like, oh, man, I'm sure somebody will help them. Sure, somebody will take care of that, right? Here's here's um here's usually what how it works that, that I see. And some of you may feel this way. We can. It's actually kind of funny. So if this is uh, counseling people, when you get into a counseling session, uh, it, it usually looks like this for most people. It's nod and smile, right? And then there's this part of the pie, which is your plot to escape, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> How can I get out of here? Is there something? Can someone come save me from this conversation? <laughs> that is the reality of what this usually looks like. So we don't get involved. We're not. We're. we're we're not actually providing any value to be effective. Well, some of us aren't even wired for this, and so we, but we feel this obligation. We maybe feel this, this sense of, yeah, well, if I love Jesus, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to nod and smile, but really, I don't want to be out of heart for this. And so really this sense of um, uh, you know, becoming a rescuer that compassionately cares, that, that practices radical grace, but also is not going to entering a codependent relationship where you're there to fix them. You're there to solve every problem. That's a big mistake that we make. Um, And then, this is what they're doing, the people that we're trying to help. This is kind of what this looks like. There's all of our advice that we're giving. So there's the advice. And then here's the ignore, right? So the more advice you give, the more ignoring that they're going to do. Like, how many of you have been in the situation like, man, that was a drop, drop the mic kind of nugget I just gave them. That was just some amazing advice, some amazing counsel. And they never followed through. They never did anything with it. But maybe it's, oh, you're so, you're so smart, Mike. That's so right. I should do that. And then they never do that. That, that just that happens over and over again. So there's this formula. 
with sort of the rescuers and the leaders, people trying to help us, like not in smiling, my block to escape. And then there's the people you're trying to help, the more advice you give, they're ignoring you. And so it's very frustrating. So some of us just don't get involved. We're just not going to do anything. So let me talk about sort of some basic things in terms of how to approach these situations. And I think the first thing that we have to talk about with people and their pain and their trauma is the sense of their identity. Because what trauma does and what pain does and why, why sometimes it can be so frustrating with people is that we don't realize that, that there is a, a bomb called trauma that has gone off in their life that has created just this ripple effect of confusion around who they are, reality, um, the sense of worth and value. And so I always start my work at the sense of in, uh, entering into the identity part of the pain. Because too many times we're, we're trimming the branches and we're, we're, we're uh, pruning things from the pain and we're never really dealing with the roots, which creates a lot of frustration and honestly will not move people towards freedom and healing. So let me draw, do a little drawing here for you about identity. Um, it's just one. So who are we? Who, who am I? And I, this is the way I structure identity. And again, this is always the way to sort of start thinking about helping people and where, where we begin in terms of some of these issues. So at the core of our identity is um, I'm made in the image of God, right? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So at every this goes back to Genesis, right? Every single person created by God, and with that comes an inherent dignity and worth and value, right? And yet, pain is a it just wipes that out. Trauma, um, some of the stuff that happens in our family of origin, we get confused, and so so. We're not living from this place of like, we are made in the image of God. And then there's this other layer of our identity, which I just call the beloved. That's our name. Like, I almost consider that to be our brand. Like, I'm a dad, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm all those things. But all those things at some way, some level could be taken away. I could, I could stop, you know, God forbid my kids were to die. Um, you know, I'd no longer be a father. If, I get, if I'm a pastor, I'm at a ministry, um, I'm, I'm an exec, that, that job could go away and all of a sudden I'm not that anymore, right? But the beloved, I think Brandon Manning says, like, uh, being God's beloved is the only identity that makes any sense. Right. And beloved is really just beloved. Beloved by God. And you are deeply loved by Him. All right, so another layer of our identity is our strengths and our gifts. Okay, and this is where if everybody is this, right, made in the English God, and everybody is uh, the beloved, well, this is where it differentiates a little bit in terms of our identity. We have different strengths and different gifts, um, different unique qualities and characteristics uh, that God designed in us. And so a lot of times what will happen in with pain is that we don't actually recognize the strengths and gifts in, our, in ourselves. In fact, we downplay it. We don't believe it. We, we let insecurity or, or shame or the sense of lacking value to, to sort of cover up the natural God-given gifts that he's given us. Or we feel like they're not that important. Like the gift that God's given me isn't really as important as maybe the gift that he's given Judd Wilhite, or whatever, or whoever the person is, or like, oh, she's really good with people, or she's really great with art, or he's a really great singer, or whatever it is. It's like we, we start comparing versus embracing the unique strengths and gifts that we have. So as rescuers, I'm going to raise this. So as rescuers, we want to make sure that we're, we're identifying true gifts, and we're identifying those moments where people are downplaying degrading or dismissing their own gifts about who they are. Really, they're just taking a crap all over what God has created, right? Um, okay, so out of the strengths and the gifts, this is one that we often forget about, but as a rescuer, 
uh, as a leader, we have to really think about this is the body. The body is the container of our spirit, our soul, our emotions, um, our ideas. And so that's a very much an important part of um, our identity. And think about this. Think about where people go when, when they're filled with self-hatred. When they don't like themselves, they attack the body. In, in Rescue Academy, I do a whole session on this and how, how the body is such an important part of caring for people and such an important part of recognizing when things are going See, people, we can we can bake people out pretty good. We say, "How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm fine. Doing awesome." But but often the body will be speaking something that a, a rescuer who's in tune, who is trained, can actually notice what's happening on the inside. Because right. the body never lies. Okay? Yeah. And so the body is something that we have to think about um, in terms of our identity. So if this is so, God created our body. He gave us our unique strengths and gifts. He calls us beloved and never made in the image of God. This is our true self. But the problem is we have a false self or a shadow self. And, and outside of this true identity, people are operating because of the pain, because of the trauma, because of feeling like they have to perform and be perfect and all this sort of dysfunction that we live in. We live in the false self. We become somebody else or something else in order to be loved, in order to be wanted, in order to to fit in. And so this could be all the way from uh, perfectionism, right? That's false self. Okay, I love this, I love this one because leaders are always convicted by this. Uh, part of the false self is overgiving and over responsibility. So what do I mean by that? Well, it's okay. I don't even have to spell responsibility, but you get it. Um, giving, perfectly good. That I give, God has given you a, a gift of giving and serving. Awesome. But overgiving, that's coming from the false self. That's flowing from our own insecurity. That's coming from our, our desire to be liked and wanted and to fit in and to be loved. Over responsibility, taking on too much responsibility, trying to solve all the problems, taking on all the needs, all the work, that's performance. That is that is false self. Instead of just giving and being responsible, that's healthy. And so, you know, we could have addiction addictive behavior out here. Um, we could have shame out here. It's all part of the false self. And so when we start with people, really the kind of the, the first core principle that we have to remember is that the best work that you will do as a rescuer and as a leader is to remind people who they really are. Not to fix their problem. Not to solve all their issues. Not to say, you know, um, you try to try to dismiss or that abuse. Oh, that abuse wasn't that bad. Oh, you'll, you'll get over that. that. That's not where you go. You go straight to the, the kind of the core narrative with people about reminding them who they are because they're lost. They're in a fog of war, okay? They're in this fog of pain. I, I read this interesting statistic or this interesting say that if you took a glass of water, uh, just, just one little glass of water, uh, and turn that into fog, it would cut just one glass of water would create a fog that would cover eight city blocks. That's all it took. One little glass of water created all this fog. Which brings me to my next little doodle. And I'm, I'm going fast here, and I'm sorry. I, I want to get kind of just do a brain dump, and then we'll we'll talk more about this uh, in Q and A. Um, I'm out of time. Let me talk to you about the fog. All right. So you're working with people, and you're like. How, how is it possible that you believe this about yourself? How can this be your reality? How can you think this about yourself or the world or the situation? And this is, this is the problem. They're living in a false story, this false self. And here's how a false story grows. So you have this event. That's how we're going to create the thought. You have this event, painful event. Okay. Maybe, um, and usually so much of this stuff, guys, happens at, at an early age. It's, it's when we're kids. We learn how to do life through our families. 
and through the, the pain that has happened in our childhood. And I gotta tell you, like, so much of my issues and some of the things I'm still working through today started back when I was 13 years old and uh, the abuse happened. And not only that, another layer of this, not to um, you know, be negative towards my family, but when I told my mom and dad that I was being abused, we never talked about it again. Okay, so as a child, I learned something about problems and perfection and how things need to look on the outside. And if you were to come over to my house as a kid, my, it looked like I was living in a model home. Our lawn was perfectly green. And so I'm, I'm learning these things as a kid, as we all do, from our parents, maybe from some a, a bully, maybe from a teacher who's incredibly negative towards us, maybe through some, some traumatic moment that we start, we start figuring out how the world works, and kids are really resourceful, by the way. We, we know how to create something that will get us through to the next day. But the problem is those systems, when we get into, uh, our, as an adult, those systems begin to break down. They're not enough. And so what typically happens then we start medicating or escaping or seeking some more extreme system to try to cover up the dysfunction in our lives. And so really the sense of reminding people who they really are and, and let's talk about that event. We have to go, we have to know what is, what is sort of the source of shame, the engine that is creating all this dysfunction and, and bad information and lies that we believe about ourselves. So we have this painful event. And then that creates confusion. Okay? Confusion and pain, right? Which is very normal. By the way, as rescuers, you never ever want to dismiss or minimize somebody's pain. Do not try to control their emotions. People have the right to feel what they feel. We just have to remove from our vocabulary that, that phrase, like, like don't, don't cry. No, no. If people need to cry, let them cry. Right. Don't be angry. Because, like we're, we're, again, that's about us, right? I'm afraid of anger. I don't want to see anger. I'm uncomfortable with anger. But people, man, I'd say part of my work is saying, listen, you have a right to your anger. Well, I love Jesus. I know, but Jesus is angry right now. What happened to you? Right. Okay? So you have a right to your anger. You've got to process that anger. You've got to get through that. You've got to, you've got to discharge that. You've got, to, you've got to have some way to get that out of you. And, and we don't get it out of us by denying that it's there. Right. And so there's this pain and confusion. Okay? So then we come, what happens is we, we make a conclusion about... Out of the pain and confusion, we make some decision about ourselves. So let's say uh, Sally's parents get a divorce when she's 10 years old. Uh, she thinks, out of the confusion, she thinks if she would have cleaned her room and, and been a better daughter, that mom and dad would have, been, would have gotten a divorce. That's all. Uh, it, it's because of her. And so the conclusion is, uh, it's my fault. Right? Completely wrong decision, but that's her decision. Because that's what pain does. It's painful events. We have confusion. We make some conclusion, a false conclusion, a negative conclusion. Okay? And then out of the negative conclusion, it's my fault. And maybe the other thing is, I'm bad. That might be another message. That I'm a bad person. I'm, I'm the reason to blame. Out of the negative conclusions about ourselves, then comes... Negative reinforcements. And this is where society comes in. And they are uh, basically uh, fueling that conclusion, saying, yeah, you know, you are a bad person. You're not enough. And whether it be, uh, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not successful enough, I'm not smart enough, whatever the, the not enough might be, we have a society that will be glad to reinforce that message for you, right? Right. And that's that's the beauty of, of the gospel, by the way, that it instantly says, like, Jesus goes, yeah, listen, I know you, like, 
you're pretty messed up, Mike. <laughs> you got a lot of problems. But in my book, like, you are awesome. I tell people all the time, Jesus loves you, but Jesus also likes you. Not only does Jesus like, love you and like you, but Jesus enjoys you. He wants you. He desires you. And so these negative reinforcements are happening in our lives from society, magazines, media, whatever, like bullies, friends, family, whatever, are just continue to reinforce this, this message, right? That I'm a bad person. It's my fault. And then all of the dysfunction that comes out of that. So this is how a false story grows. So when you're sitting with people in a counseling session or a coaching session, you're like, why do you believe that? How can you be so, like, like how do you see yourself that way? This is why. And, and here's the reality. You, people don't have just one painful event that has created this false story, right? They have multiple of painful events. Like it's it's all over the place. And people are literally like there's there's not eight blocks of fog. There are fifty blocks of fog. Right. And so that's where our compassion has to come in. And that's where our understanding has to come in. And, and we have to remember this. Let me give you this little uh, formula. This might be the most important thing I teach today. Not the most important thing you learn today, because you just learned some amazing things from from uh, the, the main session. But here's this: here's the reality. When we get this in our kind of DNA for our church, for our leadership, for um, just coaching and counseling people, this is what life transformation looks like. Life transformation. Here's the formula: love and time. That's what it's like. You want to see people transform? You want to see people grow? You're going to give love and time. And here's the kind of dirty little secret about this work. It's always more love than you thought you'd have to give. It's always more time than you thought it would take. But this is what it looks like. This is what you're signing up for. Um, we, we live in a society, a culture that loves quick fixes. You have church, man. We're so notorious for like... You lose your, you lose your uh, mom. Maybe you're in your turn like grief, and you're sad. I'm like, okay, okay, Sally, we're going to give you about uh, sixty to ninety days to be through this, but then we need you happy again, okay? Because you're kind of bumming everybody out in the small group, all right? <laughs> um, kind of been Debbie Downer lately, and so it's like, hey, but. Sally, don't you, Jesus, he's like, he's, she's in heaven now, and, and she loved God, and you're going to see her one day, all that's bull crap, okay? Like, stop that. You just go, hey, whatever you're feeling in this moment, the grief, that is real. And however long it takes for you to process this, we're going to walk through it with you. We're, we're not going to try to rush the healing process. Love in time, more love than you thought you'd have to give, and more time you thought, than you thought it would take. So let me do this. I want to do a little, uh, get you guys involved. Uh, check in time here. Where are we at? 2.20. Two, two, two what time do I have to be done? So I'm going to do QA. All right, I need three volunteers. Let's get up here. Do three people. You come on up. Come on up. I need one more. All right. Got a dude in the mix. All right. Awesome. All right, so here's, I need somebody to stand here, somebody to stand in the middle, and then somebody to stand over here. Okay, so I'm going to give you, you're all going to represent something. So I'm going to have you represent her. I'm going to have you represent height. I'm going to have you represent hope. So some of you go like, hey, i got some people in my church that's like, and they've been, uh, you know, I know this probably takes longer than 60 or 90 days, but man, they've been like, this way forever and they're just, they're just kind of what do I do? So I want to give you kind of um, a, a spectrum in terms of where people will land in terms of their pain and sort of their outlook and their mindset and, and for us to be aware of that and then where we want to sort of direct them to. So let's start over here. I'm actually going to bring you all the way over. Let's have you over here. So at the far end of the spectrum what's your name? And Natasha, okay. And Natasha is going to represent hurt. And hurt, think of hurt like a, it's a, a dark, ominous cloud. It's wood lightning and thunder. And you know these people, like, these. this is the victim mindset, okay? This is where, man, oh, it, my, 
God's been so mean to me and, and, and nothing has ever worked out in my life and, and why does God hate me and, and they've got it so good over here and, and there's blame. This is her. Like if this was a song, this would be anything by Nine Inch Nails, okay? That's, that's this over here, all right? And so um, we have hurt, and this is one far side of the extreme. How many of you know some people are living over here, all right? Yeah. When I first started my ministry, I, I have a huge heart, very compassionate heart, empathetic heart, and I would come over here and I'd sit with people in there, and I'd go, oh, it is hard, it's so hard. And I would just stay, and, and we'd just be like sackcloth and ashes, and we'd cry together, but we never, we never went anywhere. We're just stuck here, and I really like this isn't good. This isn't where God, God wants us. Because here, here's the reality. I believe the gospel is a, is a, a message of empowerment. Right. Okay? Of healing and freedom. And so for over here, he's going, oh man, was me, never get better. Victim mindset. This is not what God wants for us. So we got to be careful to, to not let our, like be so overly compassionate that we just sit here for 10 years. Okay. And, and, and say, that's Okay. Right. So on the other side of the extreme, so we're going to walk all the way over here, run all the way over here, and over here we have hype, okay? And this is where church people really thrive. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great all the time. Because all the time God is good, and God is good all the time, right? <laughs> These are people that's like, man, they're, they're perfect. Every, their Instagram feeds are amazing. Facebook kids are winning uh, awards for baseball tournaments. Like It's bright, shiny sun over here. This is the weather pattern. Um, if this is a song, this is, uh, and that song remains, sun will come out tomorrow, get your thousand dollars. You know, it's like that whole thing, right? These are people always happy, always good, and yet we know that's a flat out lie. Yeah. Not true. Now, some of us are going like, um, church church workers, you guys are like, I, I think I'd rather have these people than, than those people down here in the herd, right? But here's the reality. This as, is as dysfunctional and toxic mindset as that one down there. We just kind of, this one isn't as much of a problem. Like, oh, they're happy and smiling. But we like those kind of people around our church. Put them in the guest relations uh, ministry, right? <laughs> but this isn't true either. So, where do we? So we have the extreme. We have hurt down there. We have sun will come out tomorrow here. So what do we do? We want to leave people not hurt, not hype, but over here to the middle. Hope. By the way, people follow them. Like maybe I'm, I'm kind of like here. I'm not full on hype, but I'm kind of here. We always want to be bringing people back to hope. And here's hope. Hope is messy. Hope is a blending of light and dark. Okay. Uh, hope is taking our story of how we've been hurt, how we've suffered pain and abuse and betrayal, uh, but also the good things, things that went right, and all those living places. I always say, think of this. What what time of day do you get out your, your phone and, and take a picture of of, of the day? It, it's either sunset or sunrise, right? And and the reason why sunsets and sunrises are so beautiful is because it's a combination of the dark and light. It is a whole story. I don't get out of my phone and go, man, I just can't wait to take a picture of the night. Like, where can I get a great? You're not going to get a great picture of the night. Or the sun. Nobody gets that. Like, noonday sun, like, blazing heat. You know, the height. I just all like. That's not going to be a great picture either. Right. And so helping people get comfortable with their whole story. Not allowing them to live in height, okay? Not pretending that I don't have any problems. I literally, I have a friend. I've been on for five years. And every, this guy's super successful. He's buff, he's fit, he's got you know, a couple kids, married to a, to a beautiful woman, like he's got he's money, the whole thing. And every time I sat down, I'm like, man, I, I, the, Ryan, like, tell, me, tell me something about you. Tell me something that, that hurts, something that's maybe, tell me about your story. Man, dude, I have just had like the most perfect life. I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> but he, he was on this narrative forever and ever and ever. And literally just, this, just a couple weeks ago, I sat with him. And his, his marriage is, is having some, some some struggles and literally watching crying go, 
and he starts opening up about some of the things that, that happened in his family and some of the things that had happened in his early childhood where he learned to be perfect. Like he's finally moving towards hope, right? Because I'll tell you, it was so frustrating over here for me as a friend. Like, no, this isn't true. But it's also frustrating when people just go like, I can't get better. I'll never grow. And so helping people move wherever they're at on the spectrum, go into hope, because this is where Jesus is at. Right. So this is this is where we can do really great work with people. Um, all right, let's give these guys a hand. Okay, if you can take the signs, you hang that on your wall in your office, it's great. Um, all right. So let me. I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to do, do some questions. I want to give you. I want to give you four. This is what I call a 10 minute counseling session. I'm going to give you four questions that you can use, whether in in the lobby at the church, uh, somebody at Starbucks, some, somebody uh, you've only got a few minutes with them, maybe it's even with a, a staff member. I'm going to give you four questions, and I call this the, uh, erase this, I call this the 10-minute counseling session because, again, as rescuers, we're not trying to fix them trying to love them. We're trying to empower them. We're trying to create ownership. And you're going to see how these questions will do that. Okay? And by the way, this is a framework. Like, if you want to do use this as a framework for a 30-minute conversation or an hour-long conversation, go for it. But here are the four questions. So the first question, what's on your mind? How many of you have been in those situations where you know there's something to talk about, Maybe somebody's popped into your office, right? They've invited you out to coffee. You're the pastor, you're the leader, and, they, and, and you sit there for about 45 minutes shooting the breeze about something that that is has no connection to anything. You're like, what are we doing here, bro? Right? So you as the leader, you this is your first question. What's on your mind? Somebody comes to my office. I don't have an office. <laughs> I'm one of those guys. <laughs> um, so I'm at Starbucks. Somebody says, hey, Mike, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, great. Let's go. What's on your mind? Now, by the way, I do not say, how can I help you? No, 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 no. That is codependency work. I, I'm not saying I can help you. I'm not saying that I'm going to do your work. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm promising nothing here. Except to, to know what's on your mind. Okay, so what's on your mind is the first question. Question number two: Anything else? Why? Why is that question there? Because most people will tell you about eighty percent, and they'll leave out that last twenty percent where they feel a bit fear and trepidation. They're not sure how you might react, so they leave out that last twenty percent, which is the most important part of what they're going to tell you. Okay? So that follow-up question of anything else is so key. Alright. Here we go. Question number three. What's the real challenge the real challenge here for you? What's the real challenge here for you? Basically, what's the problem? They've just unpacked something with you. They've, they've talked about some of the dynamics. They've shared with you maybe a situation. But here's the thing. What's the real challenge here for you? And this word for you is the most important two words of this question. Because you have, and, and research shows this, that people, if, if you keep the problem out there, they're kind of in the abstract. They're not actually going to be able to process it. But if you say, what's the problem for you? Like maybe Tammy at work is, is saying things about her at the in, in the break room, and she's really upset about that. And then 
we, we can talk about Tammy the whole time, right? It's like, well, I need Tammy to, no, no, no. Like, what's the challenge here for you? Like, what is the thing that's hitting you? And, and what, what's the problem for you that Tammy's doing? Like, obviously, Tammy's being kind of a jerk. That's obvious. But what's the challenge here for you? And have them identify that, get clear on the problem, okay? And then, because, again, how many of us have been in these conversations, maybe marital counseling, where the spouse just complains and complains and complains about the other spouse? And we're like, we're not making any progress here. This is not helpful. And so we have to bring it back to the for you. I'm a huge believer in self-ownership, about, about taking radical responsibility for our lives. It's like, I can't force you to do anything. Like in ownership, ownership to me, the definition of ownership is being uh, uh, making a decision to be committed to an outcome, right? And as a leader, all we gotta do is help them identify the outcome, but we can't make the decision for them. We can't make the choice for them. You can't force an addict into treatment. I mean, you can, but you're not gonna have very good results. They have to make the choice to be committed to the outcome, and that's that's across the boards in any issue. Any it's Jesus. Right? John 5, I believe. Do you want to get well? Because if you don't, that's your choice. But if you do, let's go. So what's the real challenge here for you? And then here, here's the last question, and then we're going to kind of uh, What's the one thing, the one thing, not five things, what's the one thing you could do That would improve or completely solve the situation. Solve the these are better when they're in PowerPoint slides. Sorry. Solve the situation. What's the one thing? So now we're moving to action. Which is why, again, a lot of us avoid these counseling things because they're about inaction. It's just about talk therapy. Like, let's just talk about the problem. Like, oh my gosh, you're just going in circles and circles and circles. So you as the counselor, you as the coach, you as the leader say, we're going to identify one thing, one action step that is going to either improve or completely solve this challenge. And let them identify that. You can brainstorm with it. Say, hey, maybe you can try this or... Maybe with Tammy, it's like, did, have you have you gone to talk to Tammy and told told her that that um, this is really hurting your feelings? Uh, or maybe it'd just be like, okay, Tammy's no longer you you no longer have to be friends with Tammy. You don't have to engage Tammy anymore. Okay, and we, but yeah, but I, I we kind of texting it back and forth. We you know we, we send uh, you know little funny um, emails to each other sometimes, and we we have to grab start no. That relationship's over because Tammy's, this is, this is toxic here, what's happening. So one decision, one thing you could do. And have you noticed here, none of this is advice. Yeah, right, so good. This is just, you are just question askers. That's all you're gonna do. Right. Right. You're not doing any of the work. You're gonna, okay, you and I are, we're gonna go talk to Tammy right now. None of that, nope, they're doing it. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Okay, great. Well, that's a great question. By the way, we're moving into Q&A right now. Let's just do that. Um, thank you for just being the first and, and putting it out there. So the fine line between a suggestion and telling them what to do. So I think it is our responsibility, especially some of you are actually very gifted in creative problem solving. And the, the, re- the reality is you, as a sort of the secondary person in are standing outside the fog of war, okay? So you actually have a really good perspective in the things. Now the problem is, so suggestion or telling them what to do, I, I never tell people what to do. I always use like the word, what might happen if you, okay? I love the word might. Because it, one of the things that's, that they found in terms of people and change and, by the way, did they call this micro change? And that's the only way that we actually change. There's not leaps forward in terms of change. There's there's a, a stacking of change. You stack one little block, and then another block, and then another block. 
So I made simple suggestions. I, people have to have autonomy. Over and over again, all the research, all the science says you actually can't force anybody to do anything. And if you're not sure if this is true, just get some teenagers in your house, okay? It's like, I would think I would be able to force my kids to do something, but I can't. I mean, I can take things away. I can shut their cell phones down. But if, I, if I'm asking them to make a character or a, 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 an emotional change or a, a lifestyle or a habit change, I actually can't force that. And you would think even with teenagers, like with my kids, I'd be like, yeah, but so think about with adults. That's impossible. And I, much of the, the forcing of change or making people do things is really about us. It's about our own ego. We need you to do that because we don't like it. Instead of saying, this is your, your life is your life. This is your responsibility. Jesus has an incredible plan for you. Um, but you have to make the choice do you want to get along, right? Yeah. And so I always like to just say, always keep power in their court. Because it actually is really critical for that. They have, I'm going to be much more effective as a parent if my child or my teenager believes they actually have a choice in order to, in, in making that change. Okay. Um, so never tell people what to do. I like the word suggest or invite people into or paint a picture. Like some of these more neutral um, words, knowing that, hey, I, I'm, as a counselor, leader, I'm actually quite powerless in this. God's super powerful, by the way. He can do whatever you want. But I'm, I'm, I'm not God and neither are you. So, any other questions? Great. Does that help? So, um, forcing, compelling, you know, convincing. Uh, that that usually is a formula for a lot of frustration for both parties. Yeah. You mentioned uh, on the first question about never say how can I help you. Can you just uh, yeah. because of the dependency, the dependent relationship, or better relationship? Can you talk about some do's and don'ts for um, not creating that the dependency, that codependency? Yeah. So the the formula, uh, the framework that I teach in Rescue Academy. Is sort of the, the twofold formula of radical acceptance. So I don't use truth and grace, which is kind of our old language, or um, truth and grace in church, and then in society we like the word tough love as our our mechanism or framework for helping people. I don't I don't actually like either of those frameworks. And I teach a new framework called radical acceptance, one thousand percent radical acceptance, one thousand percent cheerleader of personal responsibility. Okay. So like, and this is, this is really good actually in terms of church and leadership and staff and whatever. Like, we always wanna be about looking for ways to create ownership and being cheerleaders of that, empowering others. We wanna always be, um, so, but codependency, uh, which I am in a 12-step uh, working through my own codependent behaviors is I need some outside source to validate me. Okay. So, what, what, why we don't say, can I help you? Or, and it's not, listen, it's not the end of the world you say, can I help you? But this is a better question. What's on your mind? Um, the, the help, we get really addicted to helping others. We get really addicted to doing other people's work because it actually feels good for us. Yeah. But, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in ministry a long time. I've been working with pastors a long time. I work with pastors who hit the wall uh, at 100 miles per hour and are no longer pastors because they have been so busy helping and doing other people's work uh, that they burn out. And that's what happens. That's why I actually teach self-care in the, in the workshop is because... You actually, one of the things that you have to, to manage is your own fuel tank as a rescuer. And so if you're always helping and finding situations like, oh, I'll take care of that, or I'll do that for you, or um, you know, I'm gonna give you two hours when really only have an hour. Like all that kind of stuff is really codependent behavior. 
And it's a slippery slope in terms of, like, I'm doing this to really help them and because Jesus called me to this, or I'm doing this because I need them to need me. Mm-hmm. I need them to keep coming to me for the answers. You know, that's, that's a formula that's going to lead to a lot of problems in your life and in your church. You're just going to have capacity issues, right? This is, a, this, this is one of the reasons why I do what I do, is I want to train as many people as possible, not just the professionals, but the soccer moms, the Uber drivers, the, the people in your church, because you can't help all the people that need to be helped. Sorry. Nor should you. I, I say this all the time, not every need has your name on it. Yeah. What was the set? You said radical acceptance. What was the set? Oh, a cheerleader of, of personal responsibility. You know, that's that self ownership. That's moving them out of the victim mindset. Because the victim will love to have you sit there with them and do all their work for them. That's good. But you're stealing the gift. Like part of part of the reason I'm so excited about my life and I love my life and I love the way I do because I did the work to to move from rock bottom to a place of hope. I, I picked up so much great information and strength and resiliency. I, I look at my life now and go, I'm a survivor. I'm not a victim. I have, I have strength that I never would have found if I just would have stayed over here. Okay, So that's that ownership, that responsibility. And, and the ownership thing is not only okay, so a choice to be committed to an outcome. But that's taking ownership. But it's also saying, whatever the raw materials of my life are, Whatever things that so some people in life they got they got lots of money they got the, the blueprints for a happy life they got into the best colleges they just had they, they had everything go their way and and they're responsible to make something out of those raw materials but if you didn't get those things you got duct tape and chewing gum and uh, no plans and no help you still are responsible to build a life at whatever's in your hands. And with God's power and, 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 and his, his, his word, we can build something really good. Yes? So going back to the hurt, hope, and... Um, Hype. Yep. Uh, I have a friend who's just... And I have a few people in my life where they just cut everybody off. Yes. And how, how can you work with people like that? How can frustrating uh, scenarios that we face as leaders. And people are just like completely shut down. Completely be like, I don't want any help. I don't want any. I don't need you. I'm going to just fix it. And, and there's just, it's heartbreaking to watch. It's always, honestly, it's always heartbreaking to watch people destroy their lives. To stay trapped in the victim mindset. It, it, it breaks my heart. And so here's, here's where we have to default back to more time and more love than you ever thought you'd have to get. And so I always tell people, like, again, I'm not going to force myself into people's lives, but I make it darn sure that they know that I radically accept them. I want to be their friend. At, at any moment that they want to take a micro step towards change or health or growth, I'm going to be, I'm going to be right there. But I can't can't force them. I can't drag them over to the change. And, and yes, I'm going to pray for them. Uh, my heart's going to break for them. There's just going to be this, this kind of sadness around that situation. But, um, you know, again, the radical acceptance, that's the framework, radical acceptance, 1,000% radical acceptance, 1,000% cheerleader of personal responsibility in people's lives. And if you work from that platform, you work from that foundation, things will start making sense in terms of the choices that you make and the decisions 
that you, whether to help, not help, what, what you say, what you don't say, questions versus advice. Like, we don't need more advice givers. Because we, we already have people ignored anyways. And people are gonna just love with people, hold sacred space, just active listening with people, being in sync. I say the greatest gift that a leader can give, literally, is, is these two things. When you're with somebody, they're a member, they're uh, in pain, whether they're in grief, whether they're doing it, it's lives with your spouse. It's these two things. I see you, I hear you, and what you're telling me matters. Like, we give that gift to people. I, I promise you, God's going to show up. God's going to, like, bless that and honor that. And that's, and you're released to do that with everyone, right? So that, part of the problem is, like, we're saying yes to, we, every knee has our name on it, right? Like, we think it's up to us to over. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're forgetting about the most simplistic things, which then is going to increase your capacity to touch hundreds, thousands, so many more lives and just being bogged down and trying to make somebody do something they don't want to do. Okay? And realizing that's not about you. It's not. It's about God doing the work in their life. Don't don't rob them. Don't rob God. Don't try to step in place of God saying, well, i got to save them. Right, I don't know what time it is. Are we out of time? It's not. It's not. It's not. Is there anything I need to say at the end? Or, okay. Secondchance.org, Rescue Academy cards, you got those. Um, I'm gonna just kind of hang. I I probably can hang for about 15 minutes before I gotta hop on a plane and go see my wife and kids. But uh, thanks, thank you guys for coming and. Uh